Welcome to the podcast for pet carers. If you're a pet parent or work in the pet care industry, then this is the podcast for you. Our show is about all things pet care, discussing everything from cats and kittens, dog training, pet nutrition, boarding, grooming, daycare, and much more. Join us fortnightly as our host and dog trainer extraordinaire, Glenn Cook, chats with leading pet industry professionals. Welcome back to the podcast for pet carers. I'm host of the show, Glenn Cook, and today I'm joined by the team from Spots and Brows, Heather Lammy and Elise Smith. Hello. Hello. Thanks for joining us today. (laughs) (laughs) First time doing a podcast, feeling a little nervous, not unusual for people who've never sort of sat down and had a conversation with microphones pointed at your face before. It's hard to do. Yes, I agree. So what we want to do in this episode is talk about your journey in creating Mm -hmm. Spots and Brows because I've had the very fortunate position to be able to watch you create this business. You're on the property at Pet Resorts Australia in Dural. Yeah. We met how many years ago? Three years ago? 2018. 2018, that long ago already. Yep. Hasn't time flown by? I know. And you've been through COVID and bushfires and now floodings and all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Everything. And, mm, Lockdown. Lockdown. The whole lot. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've been on this <clears throat> terrible and wild journey <clears throat> together, but there's been gold that's been spun from it as well. And one of those things is, I guess, in watching both of you set up this business is that like many businesses, you really struggled at the start. Like it was hard for you. You had yeah. to have second jobs to keep everything going, to pay the bills, to get it all functioning. And now it seems like you're flying, like you're booked out all the time. You've seen like you've got a long list of clientele. We have staff members now. Yeah, you've got extra staff. It's a bit of a rags to riches sort of story in a way, you know, like I'm not saying that you're running away to the bank laughing every single day. It's a hard (laughs) job. And that's what we want to talk about. I'm going to lead over to you girls and either one of you can sort of, or both of you, you can share in the story of Spots and Brows and how it came about and your journey on it. And then once we do the origins of Spots and Brows and what you did, then let's talk about the importance of grooming and why you would consider that for having a dog just as a client or even the relationship with a boarding kennel and the importance of that. So let's talk about the origins of Spots and Brows. Who would like to go first? Bit of a backstory. Heather and I met at a vet clinic. Um, Mm -hmm. It was our job. Heather actually trained me, but we also did animal behavior and training as well in the same course, but we didn't recognize each other when I started at the vet. (laughs) So were you vet nurses? I was. No, I wasn't. Yeah, I was before and then I went to a clinic. And what Um, did you do, Heather? What was your role at the vet clinic? uh, Like kennels, kennel work Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So like a vet tech sort of thing, like a... Yeah, Yeah. similar. Yeah, yeah. Like I still, I still dealt with the hospital patients. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I wouldn't call it a vet nurse. It was Mm -hmm. kind of just doing it like that because they had a whole boarding facility. Mm. It was basically a boarding facility for recovering sick animals that couldn't go home. So they'd be there for weeks at a time as well. So like doing meds and stuff and recovering. So after they've had their leg amputated or something like that, they can't go home for for six weeks or something. They bored. Yeah. Geez, the you picked clinic. the most extreme thing, didn't you? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was my first job as well in the industry. So I remember one day I would train all of the new people that were coming in for job trials and mm-hmm. starting and whatnot. My manager came up to me and said, you have a new girl starting today, etc." And she comes out and for once she actually knew what she was doing. Mm-hmm. Then Elise looked at me and she was like, you're doing training behaviour, aren't you? like at the time as well mm-hmm. in TAFE. And I was like, yeah. And then I realized because then she told the Hungry Jack story because 
took me so long to get a job in the industry and I embarrassed myself in front of the whole TAFE class saying how I worked at Hungry Jacks. And, and then from that shift, I gave Elise my number in case if she ever needed anything, just because I know kind of you're thrown in the deep end mm-hmm. in a new workplace. So I gave her my number and she'd text me things like, hey, like what's the alarm code or do I mop in this section? What mop bucket do I use, et cetera? And then I think one day I just turned around and I said, big dogs are my favourite, like just talking, having a conversation. She was like, mine too. And then we just become besties ever since. It worked out weird, like our lives just kind of fell together. We didn't even plan it, but we both got puppies around the same time. She got the Rottweiler, I got the Dalmatian four months apart. Then our dogs grew up together. Then they were ultimate besties. And then I think one day I was like, talking to Elise, Elise had mentioned saying, I think grooming would be fun because at the end of every stay or every, I think it was every four days at the vet clinic, we had to bath the dog that Mm. would be staying there. So you'd bath and blow dry the dog, general maintenance of the dog. And so we kind of took an interest just by working at the clinic that we liked Mm -hmm. that. And then Elise was like, I think it'd be fun, you know, like, would you ever do it? And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know. And in the time we're both grooming our, um, our family dogs at home. And then one day I turned around to her and I was like, I started clipping dogs nails at the clinic and I really enjoyed it. I don't know why it just was satisfying to be able to clean the dog off, make them feel better. That was probably my biggest thing, making a dog feel better, clipping their nails. So their paws sat properly from there. I was like, yeah, let's do a course. And then we just randomly went and did a TAFE course. I mean, Ultimo, the pet grooming course. And then we were way over our heads at the start. <laughs> we just randomly leased out a leased out from Dural Pet Resorts, and we didn't even know anything about business. That was just it was full on. Yeah, another icebreaker. We like because with, with our clients, we like to almost have a friendship with them. Obviously, professional as well, but we like to get to know them as well. And when we were thinking about our name, we actually had our name picked before we even started grooming <laughs> for whatever yeah, what random. we were going to be and. Because Heather has a Dalmatian, I have a Rottweiler. Rottweilers have eyebrows, like little brown ones. Mm -hmm. And then Dalmatians obviously have spots. So we came up with spots and brows. Yeah, we're walking home. Oh, no, we're walking to the train station from TAFE. And Mm -hmm. then we were laughing, going, oh, spots and brows. And then it just stuck straight away. We hadn't even, like... It's spoken a, to anyone at Dural yet. So. It's a good icebreaker for clients because they always say, why spots and brows, you know, and then they look and then we explain. So it's a good icebreaker and getting to know each other as well when we explain our name. Mm. Yeah. And you've got the logo too of the little Dalmatian head and the Roddy head. So yeah. it really yeah. tells the story. That's pretty cool because even though I've known you since 2008, I didn't know any of this origin, like how you met or <laughs> how you've developed together and yeah. the mentorship between you and so forth, which often happens with people when they get into business. Like some people just meet each other on a whim or they've known each other for a long time and decide that they've got a, a shared knowledge in something or an experience that they think we can work well together and benefit. Now that you've got into the business side together, mm-hmm. um, do you still feel happy about cleaning dogs and doing nails and or is it become something of a hobby into a jobby now? I think it depends on the dog. Yep. <laughs> there are some dogs that make me think that, oh, I don't really like doing this. Mm-hmm. But I think we've gotten to a point now where we can kind of pick and choose what dogs we want to do. Yep. If a dog is too difficult or a client's not going to commit to a grooming schedule where their dog's not going to be severely matted or anything, we could just turn around and say, 
one, we're not the groomers for you because it comes a high risk mm-hmm. of having a matted dog and we've spoken to you multiple times before. Or if we don't like the dog and it becomes a risk of cutting, like if it's not behaved and it starts to bite or jump around, we do recommend that they go to a vet clinic Whereas before we didn't, maybe two or three years ago, we didn't have the confidence to tell people to go elsewhere because one, we wanted the business mm-hmm. and that's when mistakes and accidents happened for us with cuts and nicks or not having a good relationship with clients either. We still do naughty dogs, but yeah, sometimes I still like it. I still like it. I think that's yeah. an important thing when we're talking about the concept of grooming is that people don't often realise how laborious of a job it actually is. Yes. I walk past you guys on a daily basis and I see the amount of hair and Mm. it's just a dust cloud of hair that's in the clinic sometimes, in the salon I should say. People don't realise that you guys have to mask up. There's a lot of hair fibres that are moving around, a lot of cleaning, a lot of patience that has to be exercised when you're working with types of dogs because that really is an important concept that not many people would consider the dogs that don't behave so well you know and the fact that you're sitting there and you're scissoring sometimes or you're working closely with the clippers or something and how easy it would be just to you know like if a dog flinched hard and turned awkwardly while you're sitting there and you've got like a sharp implement in your hand even though you're skilled at it yourselves and you take necessary precautions for that not to happen you can't safeguard against everything. How hard is that? Like, let's talk about it's that so as, a, as a skill set. <laughs> it's so hard. And then just being a person that suffers with anxiety, I am naturally a jumpy person. I always have been my whole life. So that's where I really struggle to groom dogs that are bitey, not because I'm afraid of the pain, it's the suspense. Mm-hmm. When are they going to do it sort of thing? So that's where Elise and I work really well together because Elise's a lot more calm than me. I'm always hyped up and wired sort of thing. Elise's more calm and she deals really well with the aggressive dogs that bite or whatnot. We just take it as it comes. We kind of get feedback off the clients. When they are a new dog, when they are a new client, We do ask them, you know, what did the last groomer say? Like how do they usually go with grooming sort of thing? If they do say that they are grumpy, that's where we ask more questions in regards. We don't generally like to muzzle. We find that it can change the dog's behaviour dramatically. Mm -hmm. We've only had probably in the last three to four years some dogs that do act better with a muzzle on, but like maybe eight times out of 10, if you put a muzzle on a dog, well, we find in the salon, they shut down, they react worse. You know, we kind of just make do sometimes, but unless obviously if a dog is severely aggressive, that's when they need to go to a vet clinic and get groomed either under sedation or have some sort of prescription medication from the vet for their safety in four hours. Because if they do turn around when we do have a surgical blade, a 30 blade going on their paw pads, which needs to be done regardless if they turn around and bite that, there's a massive accident that happens and mm. it's it's no one's fault. Sometimes the dog can't help it. Sometimes the dog might have neurological issues that are unknown sort of thing or the dog is just naughty. It is hard. We definitely have over the last few years learnt different ways to deal with dogs that mm. have issues. Like We've had dogs that one dog came to me one time and was just constantly barking in my face, wasn't a fan of me, tried to bite I said to the owner that what the issue is and she said, oh, I don't know what to do. This is the best he's ever looked. This is like you've been able to finish him. And I said, well, 
like just recommending like some calming from the vet, go to the vet, speak to your vet. He came back the next time. Fine. He got used to me and now he's off meds. He doesn't need them anymore. I think in this job, my best advice would be to people is research the breed, find out how often you need to groom your oodle. Oodles being so popular this Mm. day and age. So everyone's got an oodle, which I understand, but find out how expensive grooming is and how often you need to get done. The number one question people say is how often do I need to get them done twice a year? And we say, no, no, if you want a fluffy dog, you need to come every four to six weeks maximum. Just so they're If you want to shave off your dog, that's fine. Still every eight to 10 weeks and people just jump back thinking they had no idea that they had to get their dog groomed that often. Um, We've had comments made at us saying, oh, my hair costs less than this, you know, and we just turn around and say, well, your dog is trying to bite my face off, you know. (laughs) At the same time, I need to take extra care. That's a good point, and I would dare not suggest that hairstylists aren't skilled in what they do because they are extremely skilled but they're dealing with somebody who can sit there and be patient and stare at a a mirror for the entire time that they're sitting together and doing this, where dogs sometimes just don't have that luxury of doing that. And I like a point that both of you were talking about before about the importance of not letting your ambitions get mixed up with your capabilities. It's something that I think echoes throughout any industries that you're working with in that you want to ensure you know what your dog's about, you know what's going to happen when you send your dog externally somewhere else under somebody's care, And you're aware of that and you can have that conversation and at least you can pick and choose whether or not you want to take that dog in. A boarding kennel industry has to do the same sort of thing. They have to understand some dogs are not suitable for the kennels. They're not suitable to be handled by staff. And that's a conversation, an honest conversation that needs to happen. Sometimes people are blissfully unaware that they don't understand that that's the case. They don't know that their dog's like that. There are literally people that you speak to and they think, oh, my dog is an angel. It would never do this. Like, what have you done to my dog to make my dog like this? Parents say the same thing about their children. They have that exact same conversation with their their children. Like, my child's an angel. It would never do this. It wouldn't behave in that way. And that's not the case either. Like, sometimes their children are exemplary around the parent or the grandparents or whatever, but not in the company of their friends or around their their friend's parents. Like, they see a different behavioural onset of that child around them. So having that honest conversation understanding what your dog is all about and even having an honest and being able to have an honest conversation with the groomer or the pet carer and say, look, my dog can be a little bit temperamental sometimes. Let's see how this relationship goes. And maybe we can help the dog along a little bit. Maybe even you can bring a trainer in at some stage to help uh, work with the dog and develop a behavioral onset that teaches the dog A, if it needs to wear a muzzle to understand wearing the muzzle so it's not just put on immediately Mm. and it's not just the onset of grooming is not about having a muzzle slammed on its face. Mm. So it knows that a muzzle is not adverse. It's not a negative. It can be something that the dog can deal with and understand having a muzzle on my face is not a bad thing. Yeah, being muzzle trained. Yeah, Yeah, being muzzle trained. So important. So I think those things are, are super beneficial and when people understand that concept, it helps the relationship and it And ultimately it helps the dog because it can be extremely stressful for a dog to be put in a situation that it doesn't understand. Yeah. Whereas if it does understand that and it has a relationship with whoever is managing it, it can make everything just go a hell of a lot more smooth. Now that we've sort of done a bit of an origin story, we've talked a little bit about some of the ebbs and flows in being a groomer. 
Tell us about the importance of, let's say, for example, the dog was coming in for boarding and the dog was, you know, let's say we were doing a long board of over a month. What are your recommendations to clients to consider over that period of time, especially for some of the longer head and oodly breeds of dogs? I think it would definitely come down to what breed it is. If it was a oodle, mm-hmm. in a kennel environment, they'd like it's most likely they are going to get naughty because they aren't professional groomers down there. The pet nannies, their job is to provide general care to these dogs and obviously love them like their own, but they can't spend every second brushing these dogs. And these dogs are having fun. I always say a muddy dog is a happy dog. Mm. So they're letting the dogs get muddy and run around and have fun and jump in the puddles and go through the yards and they match them with the other dogs and they might play fight and whatnot. So we always expect dogs in kennels to have to get matted or to get naughty, even just a little bit. So in any oodle that's coming into kennels, we would probably suggest one to get them groomed prior on a shorter length just to avoid that. And then it's always nice to get a dog back at the end of the stay that's been freshly groomed. Mm. They smell amazing. (laughs) It's disheartening sometimes for the kennel staff when they have a dog that's been in for a long period of time and it's one of those breeds of dogs with that sort of coat. And the owner comes back and says, oh, I'm really unhappy. The dog's had a great stay. It's been playing. It's been socialising. It's been doing everything well. Like everybody's been very happy, but they touch the dog and say, oh, it's coat is all tangly and it wasn't like this when I dropped the dog off. Not a year. And I think you made a very good point before. Pet care staff in professional boarding kennels, they do understand the basics of grooming, but I mean the basics of grooming, and they yeah. do what's called a kennel wash when they wash the dog. Yeah. So they don't understand the level that you ladies do. When you're grooming a dog out, what you're doing is a professional level salon-like grooming experience. Yeah. That's what we've tried to pass on to clients before is that because you're on site here and we have access to you, they should consider having the dog brought over, groomed out, cleaned up, and that way the dog will arrive home as expected. Yeah. Now, it's not that it doesn't mean that pet care staff don't care for the dogs. It doesn't mean that they don't brush the dogs and so forth. But as you were saying before, Heather, when these dogs are out playing, they're into it. They're into the mud, you know, and they're probably doing things that they won't be doing at home. They're running around with other dogs. They're running into leaves and they're running into things that get stuck in their coat. And then when they get put away at the end of the day, because kennel staff have got, you know, sometimes between 50 and several hundreds of dogs that they've got to look after doesn't mean they haven't been looked after. It just means that they're not sitting there with a dog on their lap for hours at a time, combing grooming them, it and yeah. combing it and picking sticks out of the thing. Yeah. You know, like to get a, a, a dedicated person to do that on, you know, one-on-one with the dog would be a very expensive stay and experience. And that's one that people don't want to pay for. Like you said before, when they say, oh, my haircut wasn't that expensive, people will come back to pet carers and say, oh, my holiday wasn't that expensive. Yeah. yeah. It's not argy-bargy, but it's a bit of like a, a bit of a grumble when mm. people drop their pets off. But, I mean, they do appreciate you. They appreciate that you care for their pets and the pets have got somewhere safe to stay and they're secure and well-loved and well-cared for. And the same thing when they come into a grooming salon. They are professionally handled, they're professionally cared for and that they get a great product and service when they're groomed out, brushed out, washed, and they've got all the fragrances and all the beautiful stuff you do, the little bows in their hair and yeah. all that sort of stuff, the boutique stuff. But – there's a lot to consider there. There's a lot that people don't take on board because they sometimes get worried about the cost of it over the result of it. And often the result of it is that the dog is far more comfortable. It's more comfortable on its stay. It's not tangled up. 
if you can imagine that, you know, like you had hair under your arm or hair on top of your head that was really tightly bound and it was pulling and pinching against your skin, what people don't realise is when dogs are really tangled up when they're doing a stay or anything like that where the groom has been suggested not to have, it can be adverse for the dog. It can Mm. be an unpleasant experience. Same thing with long nails. Like when dogs get really long nails and they don't get their nails clipped, it can have an adverse effect on their feet. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Because that's always been a concern of mine as well. Dogs need to have their nails clipped quite frequently, especially if the dog isn't walked regularly. Then what happens when a dog's nail grows, they have a quick, and Mm -hmm. if they don't get clipped regularly or filed down, the quick grows into the nail, which then makes the nail longer because you can't clip the quick because it just bleeds. You can. It causes a little bit of discomfort to the like dog. Like the nerve. Yep. Yeah, it bleeds like crazy mm. as well when it happens. And also it can cause health problems to the dogs. In the salon we've seen nails in the paw pads because they're that overgrown mm. or dogs walking to the side because they can't walk on their paws because their nails are so overgrown. So it's very important to have their nails clipped. And another thing about us being in a boarding kennel, it's just convenient for even little things like nails and things like that or grooming. You save yourself a trip to the vet if you get them clipped at the vet or a grooming, you save yourself a trip to the grooming salon and they can just get done at the kennel while you're on holidays or something. So it's just convenient as well. Even in doggy daycare, we have probably clients that come maybe every few weeks to us. So they obviously go to doggy daycare. Mm-hmm. Four times a week or whatnot, but every few weeks they'll come in, pop in, um, pay for a nail clip and we'll just call the dog up. The pet nannies bring up the dog, give them a quick nail clip and off they go. That way we're reducing the nerve, well, the quick, every few weeks and we're actually able to get them shorter and shorter. You don't want nails that you can hear clicking on the floorboards because it is quite crucial for their whole stance, for the whole way the dog stands. If they start getting too long, they're going to go off to the side and then the dog's paw pads naturally start going to the side and unless you completely clip them back, they might it might end up being a vet visit because the way that their paws stand, they start growing like that. How do I explain that? They don't grow like that, but the paws end up just being like that off to the side. And it's play. Yeah, mm. and it's so uncomfortable for the dog and then there's not much you can do. We do get clients that barely get their dogs groomed or someone that hasn't had a nail clip in a very long time because let's just say it's a Labrador so they don't need as much grooming, like a very long time and you can only take the littlest amount off and the nerve is completely grown into it. And then that's when we recommend and help educate the owner that they need to get done more regularly. You know, it's not that expensive depending Mm. on the dog, depending on the breed and the behaviour. It can be 10 to $20, you know. It's something that you can always add on with a board and stay, a train and stay, or just doggy daycare, or we're happy for always to have walk-ins for nail clips because it is that important. I've always had a dog who absolutely hates her nails being done. She screams like she's being murdered, but it has to be done. I have She has gotten better over time, obviously, as me being a groomer, but it has to be done because she unfortunately is one of those dogs where her nail grows out so much, like she has granny nails, And her nerve grows into it. The quick grows into it. And then it just makes it harder and harder the next time. I mean, I'm not murdering my dog or anything, but she, she, she's fine. She's fine, guys. (laughs) She hates it being done, but that's when also it's very important that you get your puppy used to it and you let them associate that a nail clip is a good thing when Mm. they're quite young. But I made the mistake and I didn't do that with my puppy when I first got her. 
now she's six years old and she hates when I get the nail clippers out. She takes one look at them. So I think that as well in saying that, that does make me empathise and I am able to create more of a personal relationship with a client when they do have a dog that's the exact same, that they, they made the mistake that I did and I'm able to connect with them and tell them, like, it's fine, like, my dog is the exact same, but we'll get it done and it'll become a more regular thing and they will get better over time sort mm. of thing. Very interesting listening to you talking about that and all the health benefits around correctly grooming your dogs, doing nails. Do you do other things, other services like checking ears or anal glands or anything like that? Because I know that they can impact health as well. Like, is that something that you girls work on as well? We do ear cleaning if they need to be done. We don't really like to put product or cleaning solutions in Mm. ears when they're clean. They don't need to be done. We don't do ear plucking. Mm -hmm. We can shave out the ears just from personal experience and speaking to vet clinics as well to what their opinion is. It's a very controversial thing. Yeah, same with anal glands. Working at the vet, we used to do it internally, obviously, Mm -hmm. and groomers are trained externally. I wouldn't do it. I know how to do it internally here. I wouldn't do it just because you're emptying the anal sac, basically. Doing externally doesn't empty it all out. And sometimes working at a vet clinic, we'd see the dogs get done at a groomer and then it can cause an abscess of infection as well. And most of our clients are fine with that. Um, We explain why we don't do it Mm -hmm. and they they understand. Anything inside the dog we don't do, we refer to a vet clinic because we don't want to cause things like if we are ear plucking, we don't want to cause inflammation. And if there is bacteria, by you plucking, you're opening up the pores Mm. and leading to an ear infection. Or again, with the anal glands, if they're not done correctly, it can cause an abscess. So anything internally with the dog, we always refer to a vet. But again, it is controversial. There are some groomers that still do the anal glands and the ear plucking. Everyone has a different opinion on it sort Mm. of thing. I don't really want to do anal glands anyway. (laughs) 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 They express them anyway. (laughs) And it's a terrible smell. Yeah. Um, Oh, horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Look, that's important to know. And just before we do the, the wrap up, Recently, I was away on work and Narelle sent me a message and she was saying, oh, Macho's so greasy and he's filthy. He's been running around in all the mud and everything like that. And she sent him over to you guys to have him bath. And when she got him back, she was so happy with the end product he did. (laughs) And that's one of the great things about getting a dog groomed out as well is that the lovely experience of how clean they are, how nice they smell. Like even when I got home, he looked lovely. Like he had a nice glow about him. He He had a nice sheen all over his coat again. It's not only an important health thing, it's also when you're living with dogs and you've got them coming into your house or being a part of your lifestyle, it's also a hygienic thing as well for the dog and for the people that own them. So that aspect alone is is yeah. worth its weight in gold. Macho was so well behaved because we've been doing him ever since he was a little puppy. So Yeah, he knows he was, us. <laughs> he was exposed from grooming from everything, the bath, blow dry, the nail clip, everything. And he the was, thing... With Macho is obviously we use the high-velocity dryers on him and a de-shedding shampoo. Mm. So it's so important for dogs like German Shepherds or any sort of other double-coated breed to get regular grooming. I know some people think it's all about the Oodles and it's all about the Fluffies, Maltese, Bichon, especially just owning short-coated dogs ourselves, Dalmatians and Rottweilers. We love de-shedding treatments. One, they're so satisfying. To be honest, I prefer them for them full clips because it is so satisfying. It's so rewarding. 
so just doing macho and seeing all of that hair blow out because we've done the D-shed shampoo, the pre-blowout, and then we're using the high-velocity dry and brushing out at the very end. Mm. It's so satisfying, especially on like huskies, samoids and whatnot. You see it all come out and their skin can't breathe. They can't breathe properly when they've got all of that undercoat and it can cause hot spots and skin infections if that does, and it can become so compacted and uncomfortable for a double-coated breed. Mm. So that's why we love doing D-Sheds. I mean, Macho's always in good condition, but just seeing hair come out of him, was it's just so nice. See, that's sage advice right there because even though they're short-coated dogs, they're still double-coated dogs and they yep. still have that extra coat growing underneath. And there's nothing worse that when you – like it really looks grubby. And I say this respectfully, of course, mm. because I know people are pressed for time sometimes, but it doesn't look nice when you see a Roddy or, or a Shepherd yeah. with, that usually has a beautiful coat with all that fluff that's hanging out, you the know, like hair. the dead hair. It looks moldy. Yeah, it does. It look it just doesn't look clean. It, yeah. it makes the dog – it doesn't give the dog that beautiful sheen that they usually have when they're done properly. That's a super benefit I think people should consider is it doesn't matter if it's not a oodle that has an ongoing growing coat. Yeah. Single-coated dogs really benefit from a good cleanup and a good inspection as well. And the other thing too is that groomers often find things that owners don't see while they're looking after their dogs. They find lumps and bumps and ticks. Ticks. and ticks. Yeah. So there's a lot of hidden surprises from my own experience having dogs groomed before where they've come back and said, or even you guys have come back and said, we found this on your dog. Yeah. And some of those things can be life-saving. Finding a bump or an abscess or a tick, a paralysis tick or something like that. It doesn't even have to be completely visible, if that makes sense. It's just we see your dog every eight weeks. So every two months we see your dog and we notice different things. We notice different changes in your dog. We have this one man, he has four golden retrievers. He comes to us every three months. He's obsessed with his golden retrievers. And I notice grooming one of them that her vulva was consistently wet. And she smelt like urine even after her bath and her vulva was just consistently wet. So I did mention it to the owner, just little things like that. Straight away, he was on top of it, took the dog to the vet. Turns out, what did she end up having? A bladder stone that was the size of a golf ball. Yeah, and they said it. the, The vets turned around and said if the groomer didn't say anything, this could have been fatal for... Voldemort because her name's Voldemort. Voldemort. Yeah, her name's Voldemort. The other one's Dumbledore. Dumbledore. So hang on, hang on. Shouldn't we not speak about that dog? (laughs) Well, it's just so like just little things like that. Like we just make observations. I have another client came in and I just noticed straight away like he's really skinny. Mm. He's never, he's always been like more of a chunky kind of boy and it was just a dramatic weight loss within a certain amount of time. So we weighed him, got his weight and they took him to the vet and then they found out like he was suffering severe, severe anxiety because they went back to work after lockdown. The dog just dropped weight like that skin and bone. Mm. But because this dog was so fluffy, they had no idea. But because I see this dog every two months, I could, I could pick up on it straight away sort of thing. Mm. People that one don't have a blow dry, so they can't inspect the skin or They see their dog every day. They're not going to pick up on these sort of things, especially like a wet vulva. I feel like any general pet owner isn't going to pick up on something like that. Well, obviously the owner didn't realise. Yeah, yeah, of course. They, Mm. they maybe they thought she just went to the bathroom, sort of thing. But just pointing out stuff like that, just that it really does create a really nice relationship, personal relationship, and it's so lovely when you get messages back saying. 
thank you so much. You saved my dog's life. The vet did say if this went any longer with the infection, with the golf ball size stone. Yeah, it happens all the time, actually. Mm. Yeah. Just little things. So it is, it yeah. is nice and rewarding like that, especially if someone's dog has never had an ear infection. We just look straight away and you can smell it. You can just smell it. Well, we know the smell, but I'm pointing that out and the owner has no idea. And it's perfectly understandable if they're not, their dog's never had something like that before. They're not experienced and not everyone has the same knowledge as us dog people know, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I think that definitely is a perk of the job, especially when someone thinks you like that and we treat the dogs like they're our own. Well, there you go. Not all heroes wear capes. (laughs) Yep. I and, wear a cape. <laughs> and even while you were talking there, Macho sung out in the background. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Ladies, it's been wonderful having a conversation with you. What are your top points before we finish up the show? What things do you think are the most things that people should consider when talking about grooming your dog? Book in advance. Yep. yep. Research the breed and yes. the grooming needs for the breed before you get a puppy. Yep. Choose your groomer wisely. We do get not saying many groomers are like this, but we do get a lot of traumatized dogs from people um, just going to groomers that don't have experience in dogs, really, that just you don't need a license or anything to have a business in grooming or work with in working grooming. So people could just set it up in their backyard and start earning money yep. and not know anything about dogs. And that can be pretty detrimental to the dog when someone's handling it with sharp scissors and they're not knowing how to handle the dog. It can be quite traumatizing. So sometimes we get people that come to us like that and we're trying to educate. Yeah, educate, but also help the dog understand that grooming's not that scary. Or habituate, yeah, I guess. That's not the... saying that people are trying to hurt the dogs, they're just not understanding dog's behaviour. Yeah, I understand yeah. that. In the industry for dog trainers, we call it a, well, I do, I call it a cornflakes trainer. It's because they shake the cornflakes packet and basically a little certificate falls out saying, congratulations, you're a trainer. And yeah. Like, they've got no experience, no knowledge, and yet... You know, they'll go and wrap their van, get business cards, create a website, and hey, presto, you've got a dog trainer that's giving out bogus advice. Yeah. And it's not like all trainers are doing that. There's some very experienced, incredibly quality people that are out there, but there's a flip side to that as well. There's a lack of experience, no formal education, or very, very limited education where they've basically gone, got scissors, got clipper, I'm a groomer. Yeah. And they, they head into it. So I agree with that. I think that research the person that you're going to get the work with. Yeah, look at reviews. Yeah, look at reviews. um, Ask questions too. And if you're not sure, make time to go and meet the person and find out, you know, what they're all about and what their ethos is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anything else? They shed your dog. They shed your dog. Yeah, absolutely. Your oodle will shed. Yes, your oodle will shed. (laughs) Every dog sheds. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Heather and Elise, for joining me today from Spots and Brows Grooming Salon. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Tell people how to find you. Phone number, website, email address, anything that is helpful to help people find who you are and maybe book a session with you. You can send us a text or leave us a voicemail if we don't get to it straight away on 0419-742-744 or... We have Instagram and Facebook. You can shoot us a message on both platforms. And my sister is currently in the making of making a super sick website for us as well. Do you have a website now? She's currently in the making of it. So on your social media, look up Spots and Browse on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. And you'll announce when your website's there and people will be able to look at your products and services on there. Yeah. Yep. 
Perfect. All right. Thanks, ladies. Thank Thank you. you. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode for your listening pleasure. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'd like to thank our major sponsors, Pet Resorts Australia and Canine Evolution. You can find them on petresortsaustralia.com or canineevolution.com.au. And just remember with Canine Evolution, it's not K and 9, it's canine as the word. You can reach out to them for a list of services for all your training needs and all your pet care needs. Thanks again for listening.